Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Golden Black Radio as we take a look at this week in Purdue Athletics. Here's your host, Kyle Charter. Purdue has a pass to the Big Ten West title, needing a couple of wins and a bit of help to get that number one seed. And the Boilermakers put themselves in that position after an upset win Saturday at Illinois. That plus some hoops talk on Gold and Black Radio. Kyle Charters here. Tom Deanhart. We'll talk to Brian Newbert in a couple of minutes. Uh, Tom, the Boilermakers do have a path, as it turns out, uh, to being able to play either Ohio State or Michigan, it would seem, in Indianapolis in early December. They've got to win a couple of games against arguably the two worst teams in each division, Northwestern and Indiana. They also need Iowa to lose a football game. All of that because uh, Purdue got an upset victory against Illinois. All things considered, not a bad place for Purdue to be. No, it's not. You like their chances to, again, at least win out. And um, like you laid out there, Kyle, they need Iowa to lose one of its last two games. The Hawkeyes have to go to Minnesota this week, and then they finish at home against Nebraska. So if it doesn't happen against the Gophers, it's probably not going to happen because we all know Nebraska is just god-awful. So we shall see. Even if both teams went out, Kyle, you know, then Iowa obviously would uh, would take the banner. Now, the, the help Iowa needs is, Illinois got to lose a game, and I think that's going to happen at Michigan on Saturday. So what I'm trying to say is Iowa looks like they have a little slightly easier path to Indianapolis and Purdue. But if they both went out, Illinois loses, Iowa, Purdue are 6-3. and three. The Boilermakers can still call themselves Big Ten West champs, buddy. Yeah, a, a weird scenario in which it feels like sort of nobody controls uh, their own destiny, especially when you think about the fact that Illinois has to play at Michigan, which seems like – uh, an uphill battle a little bit, uh, to say the least. But Purdue's a big favorite against Northwestern. Purdue will be probably a double-figure favorite, I would think, at Indiana. Uh, you know, the Boilermakers have done well as the underdog over the last couple of seasons. Maybe they've not done quite as well as a favorite, uh, but they're big favorites in these two games. You would have to suspect that if Purdue continues to play the way that it did on Saturday, that it should be able to get two victories here down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, these are these are bad teams, like you said, off the top. Northwestern is just in a free fall. Um, opened the year with that win in Ireland against Nebraska. Have not won since. Nine losses in a row. The offense is just pitiful, Kyle. Um, really struggling on that side of the ball. There's no playmakers. Uh, they played four quarterbacks last week, buddy. Four in one game. They got oh. 31 to three at Minnesota. So, not sure who's even going to be starting for them on Saturday. We'll have to stay tuned there. But on and on, it's gone for for the Wildcats. And then, of course, Indiana too, Kyle. They started three and zero and have not won since. They've lost seven in a row. So yeah, they've uh, they, they've kind of hit hit the skids as well, and they have their own issues at quarterback too. So you're right. I mean, upsets happen, crazy things happen. We know it. You know, I'm sure Jeff Brom is going to be on alert, as every coach always is. But my gosh, for for people like you and I and the fans out there, you look at those two games and go, my goodness, Purdue just roll these guys, right? Yeah, Northwestern has struggled. Indiana has only won one of its last sixteen. 
Big Ten games. That was the opener this year. That seems a little crazy now on that uh, Friday night. They got a victory against Illinois. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk uh, more with Tom about uh, football. Look back at that victory against Illinois. That here in a second on Gold and Black Radio. On the far end of Main Street in downtown Lafayette, you'll find East End Grill, Industrial Classic. The restaurant is built like a stack house, but it handles like a bistro. East End Grill's menu includes creative starters, simple chopped salads, burgers, fresh fish, and steaks, and the signature shrimp and grits. The staff prepares every item from scratch and emphasizes simple meals that incorporate fresh, local, and seasonal ingredients. The warm and inviting dining room features a cozy bar that includes a great selection of craft beer, inspired cocktails, and a robust and expanding wine list. Whatever your entertainment needs are, a cocktail at the bar, dinner with family, or a special event at the private dining room, the energizing attentive staff is here for you. East End Grill in downtown Lafayette, welcome to our table. Looking to start a new holiday tradition? Thanksgiving officially marks the start of Sand Valley Pursuits season. Spend quality time indulging in a chef-driven menu complete with craft cocktails and homemade pie. Preserve your experience today. Call 866 866- Nine seven six one zero six nine, or visit sandvalleypursuits.com. All right, time the Boilermakers get a thirty-one twenty-four victory against uh, Illinois on Saturday. Purdue got off to a slow start in the game, though just trailed seven to nothing. Not like the slow starts that we had seen the Boilermakers uh, begin with against uh, Wisconsin and Iowa in the last two games. I don't know what the spark was there for Purdue, but um, once it found its groove a little bit, again, especially uh, offensively and then, you know, defensively too, uh, the Boilermakers uh, made some plays in all facets. thought offensively Purdue got some help from Payne Durham and T.J. Sheffield, mm-hmm. maybe taking some of that relief off of uh, Charlie Jones and Aiden O'Connell a little bit. And, and the offense certainly uh, looked better and had some good balance too with Devin Mockaby. Yeah, you're exactly right. Purdue did fall behind once again, though. You know, they fell behind 21 nothing at Wisconsin, 17 nothing against Iowa, and then 7 nothing at Illinois. But they tied it up at halftime at Illinois, got the lead, and then sort of took care of business from there. And I think you hit the highlights on offense for Purdue, Kyle, just to get some relief for Charlie Jones via Payne Durham and his two big TD catches. You mentioned yeah. T.J. Sheffield. I think he's the clear number two guy. He's kind of been come and go, but by and large, he looks like the, the most reliable second wideout option opposite Jones. Boy, Kyle, that 15-yard catch on fourth and nine late in the fourth quarter was absolutely huge, as we all know. So that was big. You mentioned Devin Mockaby, number 45. That's four 100-yard rushing games now, my friend, for the walk-on. And uh, last Purdue back, Kyle, four 100 yards in one season. 2005, Jared Boyd. How about that? So wow. he was big in cold weather games. You know, keep feeding mocking me, right? I mean, this makes the whole offense better. Yeah, mocking might have a chance for a thousand yard game, a thousand yard season, especially if you add in uh, the bowl game. He's got 730 or 40 or whatever it is on the season. Considering he didn't play a whole lot in the first several games, it's been quite yeah. uh, the season for the redshirt freshman. Um, you know, that you mentioned that fourth down play. It's a huge play, obviously, the pass to, to T.J. Sheffield. Purdue was sort of in no man's land. I, I tweeted, I, I usually have strong opinions uh, about what Jeff Brom is doing. I, I really didn't know what the answer was on that fourth down play, whether Purdue should 
should go for it, whether it should try to kick a long field goal into the wind, whether it should punt. I mean, it was a, it was, in my opinion, a tough decision. It turns out to be the right decision. And man, that really uh, went a long way to sealing the victory for the Boilermakers. Yeah, huge. And then Fenner kicks the 25-yard field goal into the wind to give Purdue a 10-point lead, 31-21. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the offense did a lot of good things. They checked a lot of boxes. How about the line, too, Kyle? This is, I think, the fifth game in a row. They've only had six guys to play, and they've held up very well. No injuries, no other injuries, which is obviously good considering the shaky depth there. So they're, they're, they're playing pretty well, I think. I think we all would have to agree with that. And how about the defense? The much yeah. maligned secondary Kyle Charters, I think by and large, you know, did pretty well. Tommy DeVito's not Dan Marino, but still they didn't give up too many big plays in the past game. And how about keeping Chase Brown, the nation's number one rusher, as far as total yards go, under 100 yards for the first time this season. Pretty, pretty good effort by that defense overall, I'd say there. Yeah, I had said earlier in the day that if you could keep Chase Brown under 120, you'd take that as a victory. Heck, maybe you'd take it as a victory if you could keep him under uh, 130 or 140, but to hold him under 100 yards, pretty darn impressive by Purdue's defense. Really, the Boilermakers played defense outside of being gashed for the first touchdown uh, on that drive by Illinois. Man, the defense really uh, stepped up, and, and, and you know, much maligned, yeah, I think that uh, Purdue defensively, you know, we paid so much attention to the pass defense. Really, the rush defense had not been very good over the last couple of outings, either against Wisconsin or Iowa. It was just a, a, a much better effort, pretty tackled better. Uh, it got a big turnover when it needed it with Kieran Douglas getting the, the tipped pass off the, the head there of Lawrence Johnson. I mean, it was just a, a pretty good 60 minutes of defense by the Boilermakers. Yeah, it really was. You know, like you said, given the way Braylon Allen of Wisconsin and Caleb Johnson of Iowa ran all over through the previous two games, and here comes Chase Brown. We thought maybe the bleeding would continue as far as stopping the run, but obviously it did not. And you talked about the key, uh, the key turnover by Douglas there. Boy, uh, huge, and uh, he obviously got hurt. Basically had to be carried off the field, couldn't put any weight on, on I think, his left leg, and you know, from, from it just seems like that was a pretty serious injury, and well, we'll get an update today. But my, my guess was that it doesn't look good. Maybe the same for Clyde Washington, who hurt an ankle. I see, I saw him in a boot after the game. So, um, yeah, there was a little bit of attrition there, but didn't look like anything significant beyond those two. Branson Dean left the game for a while, but he returned. Kyle he played very well, and uh, I don't think you can talk about seventy-two without talking about the penalties, right? 12 penalties on Illinois, five PIs. Brett Bielema said after the game he had four PIs the entire season. I asked Dave O'Connell after the game about the, the Illinois PIs, and he said, look, they play a lot of man, man coverage, and when you play man coverage, you, you have more of a likelihood to draw PIs, I guess. You know, as receivers try to battle back to the ball, D-backs tend to grab them sometimes. So that certainly was a huge factor for Purdue, I think. I really thought all those calls were fine, aside from maybe, I think it was the first one, might have been a little bit questionable. The other one seemed like defensive yeah, pass interference to me. One uh, dubious one, yeah. There's one dubious one. Yeah. Aiden O'Connell was uh, was good. Probably his best game uh, since the Nebraska game. He also used those wheels a little bit, a couple of carries <laughs> for 33 yards. Man, those runs on the option were just uh, – 
were, were funny. Um, because he was so open, he just sort of kept looking around uh, in slow motion, waiting for somebody to come tackle him, and eventually just decided to, <laughs> to set down, as he really should. Uh, but, you know, it was a good game by him. He was efficient. Uh, he took it, took his chances. You know, just the one bad throw. I'm not sure if he didn't see the zone coverage or what happened there. Illinois might have crossed him up a little bit. But other than that, he, he took what was available, it seemed like. And uh, the option, believe it or not, got Purdue's offense going a little bit. It was sort of uh, crazy how that worked out. But Aiden O'Connell was pretty good. Yeah, you're right. The, the, court, the speed option, I'm using air quotes right now, Kyle. You just can't see me. Um, but, yeah, it was a wrinkle that Purdue introduced us last week. They must have seen something on, on film. Illinois obviously was surprised by it. O'Connell had the big, what, 24-yard run, I think. And I think on the next play, they, they pitched it to Mockaby, and they didn't take the pitch man on that play. And Mockaby went around the left side for a pretty good long gain as well. So, yeah. A nice little change of pace there to, to catch Illinois off guard and, and, and to move the chains, if you will, move the ball. So always got to be thinking. I'm sure Brom introduces some new things every week. Um, but, again, uh, just a pretty good overall job. You know, I talked about the penalties, too. I think, um, I think you know, the defense, too, um, talking to Branson Dean afterward, Kyle, he said this this last week. They just really simplified things. Didn't have a lot of calls on first and second down. Just wanted guys to be able to play without thinking and play fast and pin their ears back. And he really thought that simplified approach on the early downs really helped the defense on Saturday. All right, Tom. So Purdue could go into bucket week controlling its own destiny in the (laughs) West if Iowa and Illinois both lose this weekend and Purdue, of course, beats Northwestern. Will it happen that way, that, that way going into uh, the bucket game against Indiana? That'd be like a de facto Purdue home game if that's the case on Thanksgiving weekend, I think. Um, <laughs> I guess I don't think so. I, I think Purdue's going to win, Kyle. I, I just I just don't know. I don't think Minnesota's going to beat Iowa and if Tanner Morgan's not playing out. And we don't know that yet at this recording. If he plays, I give, I give Minnesota a shot. They're actually favored right now by a handful of points. But, again, uh, if Morgan doesn't play, I don't like uh, Minnesota's chances. So, right now, thinking his status is up in the air, I'm saying Iowa's probably going to win. And, uh, and again, that, that will obviously not make that next sale quite as maybe intoxicating for Boilermaker fans. Yeah. All right, thanks, Tom. Take care, buddy. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll bring Brian in, talk a little bit of uh, basketball ahead of Purdue's big game against Marquette and Mackey Arena on Tuesday. We'll do that coming up next. This is Gold and Black Radio. At Purdue Federal Credit Union, it's about a relationship. A relationship that goes where you go, wherever you are in life. A relationship that's committed to free financial wellness resources, lower fees, and innovative digital banking solutions. Because we believe in people helping people. Let's build your financial future together. Purdue Federal Credit Union, your trusted financial partner for life. Federally insured by NCUA. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group is your local farmland specialist. With decades of experience in Indian agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 to talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185.
1-800-227-8585. Experience unparalleled comfort, service, and cuisine at the Whitaker Inn. This Midwestern oasis is perfect for a relaxing staycation or weekend getaway. Escape from the ordinary at the Whitaker Inn. Designing and building since 1968, TNW has changed the way people think about construction. TNW's three-stage approach to designing and building is unmatched throughout the construction industry. Learn more about TNW's people, passion, and projects at twdesignbuild.com. Welcome to Golden Black Radio as we take a look at this week in Purdue Athletics. Hi, with Brian talking a little bit of uh, Purdue basketball. The Boilermakers are 2-0. and Got a big win against Austin P on Friday night. Marquette in town on Tuesday as part of the Gavit Games Mackey Arena, 8.30 on the tip-off on that one. Uh, Brian, Zach Eady is pretty good, um, especially when the opponent doesn't really have uh, anyone to guard him. Man, 30 points. I don't know if I've ever seen. Have, I, have you seen as efficient a game as... 30 points on 13 field goal attempts with however many, whatever many rebounds he had also in 27 minutes. I mean, uh, pretty impressive um, job by, by Zach Eady here to start this season. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was what pretty needed. Uh, I, I don't want to say they you know necessarily needed it against Austin P, but that's what Purdue needs from him is when a defense comes out one-on-one against him, he needs to just, work them over and uh you know that's what um exactly what he did against austin Pete. you know he came off the 4-13 game against milwaukee that obviously reeked of a outlier and uh i think purdue in general against milwaukee just wasn't very good around the rim for whatever reason yeah. but uh obviously uh you know austin p for whatever reason just kind of dared him to to go off instead of making pretty make threes which Purdue didn't do um, anyway, even if they had. Um, but, yeah, that's exactly what Purdue's expecting from Zach Eady here. Now the, kind of the next test for him is going to be when a higher level of defense really comes at him hard with some help and stuff like that and him continuing yeah. to kind of make the right read, make the right pass, and make the right play and all that stuff. But that game against Austin P was exactly what Purdue needs from him in situations like that. The, the numbers for ED is, uh, on the season through the two games are, are, are really good. I, I I don't know even where you would start with what is most impressive here. He's averaging 21 points, shooting 62% from the field. He's hit 10 of his 14 free throws, averaging 14 rebounds per game. He has seven blocks. For a guy his size, averaging 27 and a half minutes per game is, is incredible. The other one, though, that sticks out to me, Brian, is – is for a guy who is seven foot four, a B touches the ball on just about every Purdue possession to have only four turnovers, uh, I think is, is pretty impressive. Now, as you said, you know, some other opponents here are going to be able to match up better against him and maybe send some more pressure his direction, but four turnovers through a couple of games for um, a guy of his size who touches the ball as often is pretty impressive. Yeah, and that's going to be one of the big keys to his success this season. Obviously, you know, the last time we saw him play last year, he what, he, he turned the ball over five times against St. Peter's in less than 20 minutes or something like that. And um, That's got to be a, you know, he, he he's Purdue's most important player. He's Purdue's, you know, the guy their offense is built around, but he's also 
you know, probably their most important offensive decision maker. Now, some of the turnovers are going to be uh, related to things that aren't necessarily decisions. You know, he he's going to get the occasional offensive foul, things like yeah. that, some more legitimate than others. Um, but what he has to do is he has to make sure he doesn't he doesn't airmail a lot of those passes uh, out to the corners uh, on the backside, things like that. And um, he's done a really good job with that. He's looked like uh, as advanced a passer as I think he he has in his Purdue career. And that's I don't want to say it's as important. I don't want to say it's more important, certainly, but that's uh, really important for Purdue. Um, in addition to his, to his to his ability to be efficient around the rim and at the foul line, he's got to make good decisions. He's got to make good passes, and he's got to make sure that those turnovers are kept to a minimum, especially those live ball turnovers. Because when the ball gets inside and you turn the ball over and it's a lot and it's live, you know the ball's gotten so deep that's going to put your transition defense at a disadvantage too. So the amount of responsibility on him this season is as great as probably any individual player I can think of um, yeah. here, at least lately. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- through two relatively irrelevant games, I think he's done pretty well with it. Purdue has not shot the ball particularly well through the first uh, couple of games. Maybe a lot of that is just the one game uh, against Austin P. And it is a small sample size, but Purdue shooting just 26% from three-point range. Nobody's hit better than 30% of their shots from the perimeter uh, this season through the two games. Any concern there, or is the the, the example or the, the sample size just too small at this point? Well, I think I think there's always concern when you have such a small sample size that you don't have a big enough sample size to call something an outlier. I think we can sit here and look at Zach Eadie going 4-13 from the floor against Milwaukee and say, hey, the seven foot four, 300-pound guy who's like a 60% career shooter is probably going to do better than this. But yeah. uh, you always worry about inconsistency, especially with teams as young and as new as as Purdue is. So uh, I think, you know, Purdue has to show it'll be consistent from three-point range. They love their pieces, but, you know, a lot of these guys haven't played a lot of college basketball, and a lot of these guys are taking different shots now than they were taken last year. You know, they're running more stuff for guys who, you know, haven't had stuff run for them before. Um, You saw Ethan Morton the other day shoot a three on the move going from right to left, and I I don't know how how many of those threes he took last year. Uh, I thought they were all good looks. Um, There were a couple of quick ones, but I think that when you just get the ball in the rim sometimes and and Zach Eadie's a foot from the basket, that's – that's not as low percentage a shot as you think it is because I think Purdue's offensive rebounding percentage this year is going to be pretty robust. And I think that's, uh, um, that's going to erase a lot of misses, but I think Purdue's just got to be still has to prove they're going to be consistent. I I think Fletcher lawyer is still kind of settling in. I think Braden Smith still has to settle in a little bit. I think Brandon Newman is probably pretty amped up right now um, and probably has to settle in a little bit. Um, I would, if I were Purdue, I would try to get Mason Gillis and Caleb first a lot of looks here uh, because I, I think those are two guys who are going to be strengths for you shooting the basketball. Um, but, no, I, I, I think you're always concerned about this stuff until it's proven to not be something you need to be concerned about.
Braden Smith might need to settle in a little bit, but he has been pretty good, uh, as good as what sort of Matt Painter advertised uh, to us uh, a few weeks ago. What have you liked uh, out of the freshman point guard? I think the spirit he plays with, the competitiveness he plays with, I think that's something that's important to this team. I think, you know, uh, I think personality can be a a really important element that we tend not to talk all that much about because it's not as apparent as some other things. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think just the way he carries himself as a competitor, I think is, is, is something that can really help this team. That, now, he's got to be careful not to let that get the best of him at times and, you know, get in foul trouble by trying to take the ball from people uh, as is kind of, his, kind of his natural inclination. But I think that uh, he just carries himself with kind of an edge that I think can probably can probably be infectious on this team. I think that's a really positive thing. I think, you know, he's going to have to settle into the college game a little bit more. You saw him make some, some pretty sloppy turnovers uh, there against Austin P the other night, that might turn out to be a positive thing because when you make those mistakes in games, you're going to win anyway. Uh, when you throw some blind passes and you just kind of um, you just kind of get out of control a little bit, you learn those lessons without it really affecting outcomes. And he now is going to go in, into the Marquette game, on, you know, with even a keener understanding of hey, the stuff I could do in high school, uh, driving baseline, leaving my feet in a crowd, things like that. That doesn't fly here, and I think, you know, he's going to – he's kind of the face of what I keep talking about in terms of November and December are all about sort of the process. He just needs yeah. to keep keep accumulating experience and uh, becoming a better and better player and, and, and just getting more and more seasoning. By the time he's got a few more games under his belt, he's going to be – he's going to be pretty good, and he's pretty good right now. The process will get sped up here a little bit over the next few weeks. The, the level of competition definitely increases. Marquette, West Virginia, potentially Gonzaga, another team out there in Portland. Florida State right symbols my day too early. Uh, <laughs> well, or I'm saying that I don't know how that works. So Purdue wins. They probably play the winner of that. Other, I don't know. I assume that's how it works. Um, maybe I was counting up, uh, chalking up a Purdue victory against uh, West Virginia too early. Uh, uh, Florida State on the road. Not sure the Seminoles are very good, but a true road game. Uh, we know how they yeah, have gone uh, out there previously. It doesn't matter how good Florida State is. They're always tough to play, <laughs> and you're playing that 24 hours after you come back from Portland. So, um, Yeah, no doubt. I, but the point being, I, that, I, uh, things get a little more real on Purdue. What are what are you sort of looking looking at here over these next several games in terms of uh, Purdue's process and preparedness? Yeah, just they've put a lot of time into working against the press, obviously, and that that starts that starts yeah. against Marquette. Now, that's also it's not just about the nuts and bolts of beating a press, but it 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 tests your poise, it tests your ability to play in front of a pretty uh, enthused environment. Here, it tests your discipline in terms of taking the right shots. Um, it tests your half court defense because. You know, you if if your opponent's not scoring, they can't set up their press. So, kind of kind of the press is going to be something that everybody talks about here, and for good reason. You know, there's a reason Matt Painter was working on it an inordinate amount. I think from day one of practice this preseason, but I think it's also kind of a proxy for a lot of other 
things uh, about this team that they still have to kind of prove themselves in, uh, most notably defense. I think that, you know, Purdue looked good defensively uh, the last couple games, more engaged, more connected than you would have maybe expected for, from a team early on in the season with this little returning experience, you know, stuff like that. But it really gets gets tested now as you take on a higher level of athlete, a better level of coaching, kind of things like that. They can't press you if they're not making field goals. So that's part of that's part of beating the press too. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Yep. All right, that'll do it for the podcast for this week. We do thank you for listening. If you do like the podcast, leave us five stars and a comment as well. Uh, be sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast app by searching Gold and Black Radio. All right, that'll do it for the uh, show for uh, this week, at least here on Monday, of course. A pregame, as we get set for Purdue Northwestern football, we'll drop that for you mid-morning on Friday. Thanks to our sponsors, as always. And for Tom Deanhart and Brian Hubert, I'm Kyle Chuggers. Thanks for listening. This is Gold and Black Radio.